What's up, guys? This is Healing Intentions, and I'm your host, Adrian Mimetti. This podcast is about natural health and wellness, mental health, cannabis, psychedelics, philosophy, and spirituality. Today, my guest is Brian Bernier. Brian is a Haitian-American naturopathic medical student from Gainesville, Florida. He has a background in psychology and is passionate about helping to bring new paradigms to fruition. Let's get started. Welcome, man. Thank you. Glad we can make this happen. Yeah, no, me too. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is a long time coming. We have a lot of great conversations and I figured, you know what? We need to record this. Yeah, no, most definitely. It's something that has been in the long talks. Like we've talked about it and, and we've worked on it, but we've, now it's actually coming together. So I'm excited about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nice, man. Well, uh, don't mind me. I'm going to solo smoke here. Go ahead, man. Um, I, I offered you already before the show, <laughs> so I'm not rude. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So tell me about. So we met, obviously, here in naturopathic medical school. Tell me about your path that led you to naturopathic medicine. Right. So um, I had been doing other things before deciding to go to school, and it wasn't becoming a doctor was not a pressing thought in my mind when I was younger. Um, I was pursuing other things, pursuing sports, which is something we can talk about later. Mm -hmm. But I had realized that I wasn't, developing myself mentally and, and contributing really how I should be to society and I felt like I had fallen into a trap of a niche of working on yourself physically but not mentally and figuring out what gifts and talents you have so mm. um, you know I heard I heard a lecture and in, in there he was saying what you should be doing essentially is something that comes natural to you that it's not too much stress you always find interest in it and I always found myself reading a medical literature. Um, so I, I decided, you know what? I wanted to change paths in life, and I decided, let's go to medical school. Um, at the time, I had no idea what naturopathic medicine is, like most people. Uh -huh. And um, so I had been looking into medical schools, looking into different programs, trying to find the best one. And I was actually going to go to Cuba to go to medical school. And then... Along that path, literally like on the way to that path, um, my brother had asked me to look into chiropractic school. Mm. And doing that, I visited NUHS student for a day down in, um, in St. Pete. Uh -huh. And I was, I was fascinated with how they incorporated like primary care, but differently. And not just, you know, rack them and crack them kind of practice. Right. So then... I found out about the program here about naturopathic medicine and that just it was like oh this is actually what I want to do because I didn't want to become a pill pusher I didn't want to work in a hospital and be regimented to the protocols and not actually be able to help people individualistically mm -hmm. um, because I think I think a lot of us especially in naturopathic medicine have seen the benefits of individualized care and taking you know other aspects of health into consideration other than just you know what pill is gonna is the person gonna need at this moment like dr kelly brogan says i'm not sure if she made up made it up but n of one medicine you know individualized yes, exactly one person at a time yes and so um you know and there's also personal experiences too that kind of drove me towards that path i i had always 
I mean, I told you earlier that, you know, my mom, she was in New York and she had always known about people like Dr. Sebi and, you know, mm. so traditional healers using herbal medicine, that was never something foreign in my family. It was always normal to us. Right. So to find, uh, an accredited legitimate program to you where you can learn all of the basics that every other doctor knows, you know, that all the allopathic doctors know you're going to, you're going to go through that same regimen. You're going to learn those things. Mm-hmm learn that plus the alternative side i was like why wouldn't i do this this is exactly what i wanted to do yep i just didn't even know the name of it <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's really cool um what's your <laughs> your background you know your your uh your family background and just your your haitian right oh yes so both my parents are from haiti mm-hmm. um 100 percent haitian awesome as we say <laughs> i'm 100 percent albanian there so. you go there you go <laughs> So, um, yeah, they both, they both came from Haiti. Both my parents came from Haiti when they were younger, um, and they met in New York. So cool. That was the result of that. <laughs> awesome. Many things to come down in, down in Haiti, as we've talked about. Oh, yes, yes. Now, there's, you know, reaching out internationally is something I've always had a passion for, and, mm-hmm. and I definitely think one of my gifts and talents is to be able to connect international communities. Yeah. Um, and I think... I don't think it, my ability to learn languages is something unique. I think everybody has the ability. In fact, I know a lot of Haitians that can speak three languages, like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely find that it comes natural to me to speak with people of different cultures and identify with them and get the, get us to see eye to eye on certain things. So. Yeah. I've even noticed when, you know, even if you know a couple of words yeah. in somebody's language, you know, like it, talk to back in the day taxi drivers you know an uber driver now whoever somebody that you can tell is from another country yep and then you just say hey where are you from man oh i'm from here and then you say one thing or oh you know like i used to live with a nigerian guy Mm -hmm. and anytime i get in a taxi and and it's a nigerian you know driver i always tell him about that and like oh adewale he was an awesome guy like yeah you know like he loved spicy food and (laughs) a lot of rice and (laughs) yeah you know it's it's amazing how just such a little sign or symbol of, of sincerity towards somebody's culture makes them welcome you with open arms. Mm-hmm. You know, most people are super welcoming about that. Yep. Yeah. So that leads me to another question I had for you is about learning languages. How, what's your process? I know that, you know, a lot of people, it's common to be multilingual, but right. to, you know, intentionally, consciously keep learning more languages. How, how do you go about that? So... Um, you know, when I initially started to learn languages, I was just curious on expanding my mind. I didn't, I wanted to test the limits of what the human mind can do. So I said, you know, how many languages can we learn? Um, and so I, you know, I started learning Spanish and then in in that process, oh, actually take it a step back even before that. When I was younger, it's, it's funny. I never understood that there were different languages. Mm. I just thought there were different, you know, sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought in the same way you could have synonyms, I thought that's what people were doing when they spoke different languages, <laughs> just using different synonyms, you know. Because um, growing, up, growing up, my parents always spoke Creole, which is the Haitian language. We speak it at home. And I would meet strangers who spoke it sometimes, and I would meet family members who spoke it. So I always just assumed we were all speaking the same language. <laughs> Everybody universally spoke Creole as well. That's awesome. So now, um, yeah, I, I think that the, 
the real key to that is understanding that language is just a symbol and it's um language is a, it's, it's a way to bridge conceptual ideas and place images in other people's heads so you literally paint pictures with words that right, you use right um and i think that if you focus on that aspect and not focus on the grammar but focus on the communication aspect of language ignore the old method of grammar focus you have to speak this way this is the correct way to speak i think once your mind begins to expand past those limits mm -hmm. then learning languages doesn't become that difficult it's just like learning medical language or any other thing you just learn how to do it um, and obviously there's different ways approaches to do that and I think I found some effective, very effective ways to help do that in a very short amount of time. But uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I pushed myself to keep learning languages. And, you know, there's so many people that speak different languages all over the world. By not being able to communicate with them, we literally close ourselves off from their thoughts. You yeah. Know? I mean, think about how much knowledge is out there that's only been printed or, you know, you know gotten out there in one language yes stuff that's in chinese or stuff that's in russian yep and we have no concept of what's whatsoever yeah in english yeah it's it's just a foreign so we we talk a lot about research and things like that and i'm like you realize we don't even have access to a lot of research because we don't even speak enough languages to really understand what research is around the world and how yeah. people dissect it differently yeah so now that just made me think of the power and you know uh, like real ability that AI will have in the future to be able to kind of conglomerate all of that, you know, very quickly, <laughs> very much so that it's tough for many humans to be able to do that. Yes. Now, and that is, that is a task in the linguistic world mm -hmm. is to connect ideas very rapidly because it takes time. Somebody has to sit down and translate and translating is tedious yeah. because when you're translating, you're also interpreting and they're, they're, there's different that's a different idea like translating you're literally just taking the word saying it what it would be in the language but that doesn't always interpret to anything that makes any sense right so then you have to also interpret and try to give context and meaning you know because there's so many different ways to say the same thing yeah and you can interpret it in one way yep you know it's like your intent can be one thing but the way it's received is another thing communication is a very <laughs> yeah you know I, I remember learning in the sales uh, world the communication triangle and you know only like seven percent of what you communicate to somebody is through your words yes something you know like over 50 percent is through your body language yep and then the rest of it's your tone of your voice yeah so over the phone i did a lot of phone sales you know we only had our tone of voice that's what, yeah. so important yeah and so we'd always work on that so i said just before we started recording like I'm so used to hearing my voice because I'd listen to hours and hours and hours of recordings of, Oh, I could have said this better. I could have did this <laughs> with my manager. And it's just like <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Now that's, I mean, it's, it's definitely beneficial in this age because everything's digital. So you're comfortable speaking and hearing yourself. That's a huge benefit. I, um, you know, when I think about communication and how little of it is actually, related from the words you say mm -hmm. <clears throat> i mean we could all think of a million examples where that happens most of the time people misspeak and they say things in a manner in which the person they don't they're not meaning to relay that meaning to that person and then you can see it because the person reacts in a 
wait it's like oh that's not what i meant you know so yep yeah that's that's for sure um so kind of switching gears a little bit i'm just you know i was really curious when you when i first found this out about you Mm -hmm. and um you know just your your background in in professional sports as a as a soccer player you know if you don't mind talking about that a little bit you're, you're a pretty humble guy so i know it could be difficult but. <laughs> <laughs> no um yeah so the, the sports world is an interesting world it's from the outside it's diff- very different from what it is on the inside i could see that um you know like to give you an example people are always talking about contracts how much play this player makes how much that player makes those actually aren't the figures that they're actually making mm. um so one contracts just like everything else in in the business world they're they're private so you can't actually say what a player is making Mm. to the cost of the business so let's say a number is thrown out there and let's say it is accurate it's written down on a contract somewhere Mm -hmm. you know this person made a hundred million dollars or this person's contracted for a hundred million dollars the part that they don't tell you is that includes plane trips hotels jerseys everything involved in that person performing for that athletic association Mm. that is also included so you know if you're making 30 million dollars a year but how many times are those teams flying on first class private jets etc that comes out that's calculated in that 30 million dollars that you make you know so um so that the business aspect of it is not for me whatsoever i learned that very quickly sure um i loved to play and i loved the lessons that the sports taught me yeah so um Basically, I had pursued some paths here in the United States, and then some opportunities came up for me to pursue playing in Mexico. Mm. So, like most opportunities, like most things in life, you have to jump on opportunities when they come. So, mm-hmm. I moved out there. I forget how old I was when I first moved out there, um, and that was a good experience. You know, I, I got to travel around Mexico. I saw a lot of different parts. That's cool. I was in areas that were. I mean, there's certain areas like La Piedad. It's a it's a small city, and it's like there's nothing there. It's it's just like a town, and it's like chickens and farms. It's like <laughs> a population of like you know like a hundred people, like wow. that kind of thing. So I mean, there's more than a hundred people, but it's it's right. not that much more. <laughs> right. Awesome. Um, and then you get to see things like you know Guadalajara, where it's completely different, where it's a large metropolitan area, and it's you know amazing bus system and things like that. So. Um, yeah, my career was centralized playing there. And then um, I had an accident where, funny enough, I came back here and I was playing here. I broke my foot. Mm. And then I went back over there. And while I was just relaxing my in my apartment over there, um, that's when I decided to start reading a lot more and exploring. And that's when I was like, you know, I want to do something else with my life. And I feel like I'm wasting other gifts and talents that I have. And although I learned a lot playing sports, it wasn't my passion. Mm-hmm. And actually, so real story, this is what actually really drove me to, to walk away from it all um, and leave a bitter taste in some people's mouths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, um, there was a kid at the stadium, and his name was also Brian. Okay. Um, and so I would go to the stadium earlier to practice. And he would always be there. And I was like, why is this kid always here? Why is he never home, you know? Because he was, I think, nine at the time. And then I found out his mother uh, was basically a drug addict, like mm. 
heavy narcotic drug addict. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I think his father. I don't even think he he knew who his father was. You know. Wow. Um, and so he never wanted to go home, and he lived in a like the location of where he lived. Because stadiums, what well, people don't know, stadiums. If even here, most stadiums are located in poorer parts of the city yep. because the property is cheaper. Sure. So when you go to stadiums and you get to see the areas around there and you hang out with the people who are like live adjacent to the stadium, you will find some very interesting stories. And then I thought this kid is so happy to watch me kick in a a ball into a net. And I just felt not disgust, but I felt so wasted with what I was doing with my life Mm -hmm. that I am here and I have all these gifts and talents and all I'm doing is entertaining people but I'm not doing anything to really truly change their lives, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was something I always wanted to do. I was always said, if I make it big, like really famous and make a lot of money, then I would do other things. And I thought, why don't I just start doing those other things that I want to do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually it got led me to medicine. So. Man, that's crazy. So imagine if you didn't ever break your foot, what, maybe, Oh yeah. Well, what, you know, like everything happens for a reason. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like that movie Butterfly Effect with like one little thing that, you know, and how your life would have been different. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. Wow. Yeah, I think about that sometimes when I when I watch movies and I see a character and then I reflect back on my own life. Oh, man, that one incident, that one event that at the time might have been negative, you know, and that's that's also taught. That's I've learned so much and I feel like I've lived like six lifetimes. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes a negative event, although it seems really negative at the moment it could flip something completely transformative to your life and maybe be the best thing that happened, not because it was positive in itself, but it led to changes that were so positive. Yeah, So exactly. So uh, going along with the sports uh, topic, what do sports and competition mean to you? Um, So sports, when at the time I didn't know what, the value of sports was other than entertainment mm-hmm. and then as i started growing up and maturing in life i started to recognize that there are inherently deep values that you learn from playing sports uh, one you learn about yourself you learn about your character through adversity so um that's from the opposing team you know challenging you when you're down you're losing it's it's you know two zero and it's 30 minutes in the game and you're like, man, they can get another one. Do you push harder? Do you look at your, you look at your teammates and you're like, man, who's really on my team right now? Because right. some people are completely checking out at that moment, you know. Right. Um, but for me, it was always a drive to want to do more, mm-hmm. and that's how I am in life, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I learned I learned that aspect of myself. You know, you learn how you deal with adversity. You also learn how you deal with camaraderie and helping people. Mm-hmm. So if your teammates feeling gassed. Do you run back and do you cover for him? Do you place the blame on other people? Or do mm. you take the responsibility for yourself and say, even if they're doing this, I'm going to do my best to do this. Yep. You, know? yep. you also have to rely on people. So it teaches you um, it teaches you to the interconnectedness that we all have. Because it doesn't matter how talented you are in a team sport like that. You still have to rely on other people. And I, I'm sure even for sports like tennis where it's very individual based. I'm sure there's so many aspects that require the help of other people, you know? Oh yeah. You have a whole team of, you know, coach and trainer and this person, this person, this person. It's, it's, it's so crucial. I don't, I don't think that 
you could dismiss it as simply an activity of fruitlessness. And I think a lot of people look at professional athletes and don't make the association that some of the best athletes in the world are some of the smartest people in the world. Mm -hmm. And the only reason they're able to excel and succeed in ways that nobody else is able to in their field is because they're evaluating and examining things differently. And despite the physical uh, exertion that's required, some pe- a lot of, most people get better with age, mm. you know, because they start to think better. Yeah, it's it's not because their body is playing better; it's because they're thinking just way better. So the mental game. Yeah, it's the mental game. You know about the mind body mental component of things with your psychology background and just you yeah. know everything. Yeah. I actually think that's one of the funniest phenomena is when you ask people to do something simple and it's a bunch of people the task becomes way harder when you give people a difficult task and there's a bunch of people watching and rooting for you then the task becomes easier it raises the success rate it's really weird phenomena huh yeah i like that it explains a lot in my academic career (laughs) the the easy assignments become the hardest (laughs) oh yeah for sure um so what what's your take on everything going on right now man just switching topics with oh the, yeah that's with a... the world and just the, you know the current the current you know everything so there's there's so many different angles and i think that's what complicates things yep. it's because there are so many different realities that are blending together all of a sudden mm-hmm. um i'm watching people struggle to have conversations that they've been completely ignorant of for I can't even tell you how long political instability that we're in is not foreign for people familiar with that lifestyle it's it's very foreign for people here right because we're used to a very structured political system where even if people don't agree there's not complete disobedience to the government and and mandates and orders and things like that but in many central and south american countries and countries all throughout the world that's a normal reality where you have people trying to have coups and rebel against you know so yep i think there's a lot of things coming in play but i think the biggest one of all of this is the organic reality that we're in and we've learned to separate everything so much that we forget that we're looking at a living thing like life itself is alive (laughs) and that's important to understand like the planet the the nations the people that we interact with a lot of these are just mental constructs excuse me right a lot of these are just mental constructs you know and the these mental constructs have been beneficial to a a degree but they've also created a lot of damage Mm -hmm. and everything has to be balanced out and so I think the the uprising that you see around the planet and that was seen earlier, we saw little bits and spurts of it with the Arab Spring, quote unquote, you know, that happened. We've seen bits and spurts of it in different areas. Um, and I think now it's finally reached the United States in that regard because we are interconnected with the planet. Yeah. So it's it's very ignorant to assume that the activities in, uh, that would, that take place in other lands that – these things won't have a direct impact on our lives here it's like thinking what happens in the foot is completely unrelated to the hand it's like no 
Yes, in, indirectly, sure. Mm-hmm. But overall, they're one system. They're connected to the body. And it's the same thing with people. You know, the United States is a nation, but that's a mental construct. Like, right. There's no border. There's no actual border on the ground. I remember when I was younger and I went up in a plane and I saw that and I was like, wait, there's not actually borders? <laughs> there's not actually lines? Like yeah. This? Like, what's... <laughs> like... Yeah. But it's it's so fascinating to me how we are so... We hold on so strongly to these mental constructs when they didn't used to exist yeah. at all, you know? Right. So <clears throat> when you used to say the United States before, you, if this was prior to the Louisiana Purchase, you were talking about literally one-third of what we're talking about right now, right. you know? <laughs> yep, yep. So it's, it's so fascinating to me how we hold on to these, even nationalities and, and those identities. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As proud as I am to be Haitian, I'm still a human being, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so I, I would never put my, I would never use my ethnic background to be like, this is why I'm better because I'm Haitian. Like, it's such a silly idea. Um, or to hold on to that so strongly to disconnect yourself from others. Right. It's, it's, it's good to acknowledge difference, but not to the degree where it starts to corrupt your mind and give you a false sense of supremacy because yeah. of that difference. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like a, a lion and a tiger are different, but they're both needed in nature. You know? Mm-hmm. So it would be stupid if you like to watch them argue about who's superior. They're like, you're both just cats, man. Right. <laughs> right. You're both just cats doing whatever you guys are supposed to do. So just do what you're supposed to do and it's all good. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. That's it's it's sad to see a lot of what's going on, but like you said, things need to balance out and, and yeah. that's a lot of what's happening, I think. Uh yeah. it was way too much in, in one direction and it's kinda it's got, you know, seesaws coming back around. Yeah. And so, you know, I just think that, um, you know, conversations like this right here and getting it out to people and talking, you know, talking about things and, and getting it out and just ending the stigmas of, of a lot of issues like me smoking a joint right now. You know, a lot yeah. of people have issues with that, but I do it because it's it's you know it's it's kind of to prove a point like that this is no different than if i were to have a glass of wine and just kind of chill and you know um it's not something that should be criminalized and people put in jail for and their lives ruined and yeah all this stuff i mean even elon musk just tweeted that earlier about about cannabis you know he's like if it's become an essential business you know and what it's been through and and then there's people in jail for it like that doesn't make sense yeah <laughs> i did not understand that one i was like wait it's considered essential which i'm like okay because yeah. it's a medication so i can get that right but then why are the people in jail for using the medication that makes that's like being in jail for lipitor right now <laughs> 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 which some can argue you know would right. make more sense <laughs> get that coq10 in there um <laughs> uh, yeah you know number needed to treat check that out and look up all the stats on that but uh-huh. uh speaking of you know cannabis yeah. um you know you refer to it as, as cannabis a lot uh-huh. as opposed to the other names like marijuana and things right, like that right and then you mentioned it being like a medicine and, and essential now um so what are your thoughts on like the transition from it being from like because it used to be a medicine it used to be used by people like you 
look at old Materia Medica and it was in medications and things like that. Right. Yeah. And then for thousands stopped. of years. Yep. Yeah. Then it stopped at one point. Mm-hmm. So what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Like why it stopped? Yeah. Like, yeah. How did, <laughs> how did we get here to yeah. where we're fighting to incorporate something that once was normal and now it's. Yeah. It's, it's a really us. interesting history. You know, it's not one that you'll be told in school or find out from the mainstream media. Really. It's something that you have to dig a little bit to find but there's some great documentaries a lot of great books that are out there uh some documentaries i just sent to somebody uh the culture high on amazon prime and then weed the people which is on netflix those are two really good ones that kind of go over the history in depth but okay um basically i mean yeah in the u.s pharmacopoeia cannabis was listed as a medicine from 1850 to 1937 wow uh you know for a bunch of different conditions and so what happened in 1937 the marijuana stamp tax act was was enacted so that you needed to buy a stamp to be able to sell marijuana but then that stamp tax was like some ridiculous um, basically made it like impossible to be able to get and so that in, in effect made it illegal it was some you know the the what initially started that was hemp hemp was you know a big part of american history and it's been all around the world for for thousands of years hemp is the distinction it's the same plant cannabis sativa but hemp has below 0.3 percent thc um and and there's different varieties of hemp but some of them have you know a lot of cbd so high cbd cannabidiol which is a different component in in cannabis that doesn't get you high Mm -hmm. but it has a lot of the medical benefits Mm -hmm. so that hemp can be used for many many different things like paper like uh, cotton you know like uh, plastics fuel source on and on and on you can build with it you can make ropes you can make hemp concrete all these different uses and so they kind of were like, yeah, you know, Randolph Hearst and a bunch of other people got in and said, hey, you know, we can't have this. You know, this is not going to work in our business model. We need to be able to, you know, patent things and get things going. And that kind of <coughs> coincides also with the history of medicine and how back before 1900 and before the Flexner report. Right. You know, there was a bunch of homeopathy, a bunch of herbal medicine, a bunch of, you know, naturopathic type, you know, history and that all got put to a halt because you need to be able to patent things and yeah you know yeah control patenting is such a such an enterprise because (laughs) you have so many people who are responsible for concepts and ideas and it's like no they didn't get the patent so it's not theirs anymore yeah but bottom line with with the cannabis history is that you know, it would take me a long time to go over the whole thing, but it's it's a really in-depth in thing that you should really look into and, and watch documentaries that go over the really good history um, because it's something you're not going to find out about. And, you know, we were there. There was literally propaganda put out there, reefer madness and all of those things that just straight up made lies. Like, yeah. You know, smoking cannabis will make black men rape white women. Yeah. And, you'll jump out of the window and all this stuff it's like no man that's not yeah that's not what it's about and (laughs) they just literally scared people i mean fear is a powerful motivator it's a powerful tactic as we're seeing you know around these times i mean yeah by the way what happened to corona i don't know (laughs) (laughs) that is an interesting one i know i i think it's i always think that's interesting because i think the world health organization i know in 
I know in April they still stood on it. They're like, there's no point in wearing masks. Yeah. And yeah. then over here, <laughs> part of our country is like adamant about wearing masks everywhere and stopping the spread. And so it's like, well, who, which source do I believe now? You know? Yeah. And that, and I, and I think that is just like there's when you have a fever, you get you know delirium and there's not clear thought, etc. Uh huh. I think that's what we're going through right now with the whole burst of information and these tools that we have in our hands even the ability right now for us to sit here and record this this would have been something only done in the studio back in the day oh yeah you know you it would have been very limited and it would have had a whole team around it to make sure that a specific message is being pushed as opposed to just like hey let's have two people sit here and have a conversation and just see who what other people think stimulate thought mm-hmm. and I, I think that our society in a lot of ways hasn't caught up with that reality yet you know like i always remember that from history class one of the biggest things about the vietnam war was press media yeah like that changed the whole landscape of war of fighting war no longer could you just be like yeah we're just gonna go fight war and once they started showing the atrocities everybody's like what the hell are we doing over there (laughs) man i mean so many things around that time were happening and with nixon and nixon just straight up is on recording saying that we're gonna we're gonna hit them, you know, hit them with that marijuana. We're gonna make it illegal because it was about social c- control. Yeah, they wanted to control politically. They couldn't make being against the war illegal. They couldn't make being a hippie illegal, but yeah. they could make drugs illegal. Right, and that's exactly what what happened. You know, that 1971 or two, whatever it was, Controlled Substances Act made all these, uh, you know, substances, including cannabis, a Schedule One drug. Yeah. No medical use, high potential for abuse. Yeah. Makes it like nearly impossible to study it. Yeah. And then people say, oh, well, there's no research to prove that it could be beneficial. It's like, well, you know, it's this catch 22 you're stuck in. Yeah. And I think that's actually really important to note what you just said there, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of, especially around controversial topics, yeah. that if the research is not allowed to be done, but then at the same time it's claimed there is no research on that. And I'm like, but it's because the research is not allowed to be done so it's like you said it, it creates this argument that doesn't make any sense because mm-hmm. <clears throat> if you wanted to explore the topic you'd have to do something illegal and then you can get in trouble for doing that and then let alone if you actually prove it then people are just going to say you're crazy and that you just really like this illegal substance so sounds <clears throat> kind of familiar to like vaccine research maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that that one is one of the most interesting ones for me. The yeah. fact that you have to sue the Department of Justice to, and then you have to. Well, it's a couple of things. Yeah, the Department of Justice typically is who defends you against companies overstepping their bounds. Right. But for vaccinations, it's the exact opposite. You have to sue the Department of Justice because they have a special, yeah. separate court system. Yes, it's a completely separate court system. It's it's like the military. It's like how did this company? get a military court system it makes no sense to me but what's more fascinating about vaccines is um they ask you to claim the mechanism on which upon a vaccine can cause injury now theoretically it's very easy to do it's not that difficult but then everybody says but practically you don't have any evidence for it i'm like well aside from vares which is a real thing it's not fictitious you know yeah. People report to VAERS vaccine injuries. But you're responsible for then proving the mechanism of action upon how 
a vaccine can cause an injury, which is even more interesting because you're not asking, you're asking a regular person in society to person who works at the grocery store, works at the gas station, whatever their job is, to now learn human biochemistry and prove something that there's no research allowed to be conducted on. You know, it's like the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated studies. Mm -hmm. They refuse to run them because they say, well, it's unethical to not give somebody a vaccine. But then how would I know if vaccines are actually, well, if they're one safer or, and more effective than actually not receiving the vaccine, you know, and, and sanitation. I always stress this because people like miss this part of history. And I think it's, it's because people just don't know enough about history. Um, sanitation has solved so many issues in the world. Like your Sydney, like the bubonic plague is still around. People act like it disappeared. It didn't disappear. We just got clean. And right. so it's not a threat in the world. Right. You know? Right. Um, but you, see, you see the charts. If you look in a lot of these diseases, they were on a decline and like pretty much down to zero. And then the vaccines got introduced. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, hmm. And, and this idea about vaccination is not new to the world, which is the other concept. Because we pretend that it's a modern science. And it's like, no, it's not a modern, sci- modern science. It's an ancient science, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, kind of segueing into like philosophy and different things, you yeah. know. Yeah. There's so much that different cultures and civilizations have attributed to the world, um, but their contributions are just completely ignored, you know. Right. So um, I think of like to take a stereotype, for example. um, we know in history, they will say that the area that is, quote unquote, the Middle East, um, that in Baghdad, you had civil- the cradle of civilization, right? Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, can anybody expound further upon that idea other than like a history major? But just the average person, if we were going to name our top scientists in the world, most of us would just name Greek people. Right. You know, and then maybe... We'll throw in an Einstein or a couple of people there, but what about um, Ibn Sina and, and other people who helped pave the way? Like literally, we we even use words like canon now, and that comes from um, I'm gonna butcher the the pronunciation of it, but it's Al Kanun, mm-hmm. which is Ibn Sina's book that he was trying to teach medicine in Europe and like present new ideas. So the idea of like surgery, you know, a lot of people talk about diseases that are like oh they were ran rampant in the old world it's like well because if people weren't washing their hands during surgery how many people you think just died of infection and not actually the disease not only did they not wash their hands but they'd go from like one surgery to the next like (laughs) yeah just non-stop same like everything like and yeah you think those tools were sanitized (laughs) no no (laughs) you know so like those things have to be taken into consideration when you have this larger topic of uh epidemiology and diseases and and transference of disease and things like that. And, it, and they're often left out. Yeah. Um, it's just the idea of being able to, you know, stay open-minded and change your mind of facts that are, you know, are presented or different. Like what is science, right? The yeah. philosophy of science and medicine and how that's all gotten intertangled and messed up of like, Hey, if we can't even question something, yeah. if you can't like even say, Hey, can I maybe not, take every vaccine as the cdc says maybe even delay it a little bit yeah you know we're not saying no vaccines for anybody 
We're just saying, hey, what happened to informed consent? And that's actually a really good point you make because the science is settled, that statement. <laughs> right, right. It's, that turns science into a noun rather than a process. Or it is a noun, but it's a thing. It's a process. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a verbal noun. You have to do science. Like it's not just a thing on its own. It's not like oh, there's a box. I threw that in there. Now it's science. It's right. like, no, no, no. Science. It starts. It starts with observations, and every scientific discovery had to go against what everybody else was accepting at the time. Every scientific discovery. Mm-hmm. So if you don't leave yourself open to that reality of asking questions then you're really just excluding a lot of science that we now re- rely on to live our daily lives. Yep. You would have just wiped it all out because you would have been the ideologue who would have been like, no, science is settled, this is this, and it's no questioning. Um, and actually, that's a really good point about the vaccines because I think that's a incredibly important to highlight. The people who have pushed this idea that they're anti-vac- the anti-vaxxers versus the pro-vaxxers, um, it's a known fact. It's not arguable. It's a known fact that there are vaccines that kill people, right? It's not, it's not arguable. It's not debatable. Yep. Even if you want to say that number is infinitesimally small, right? Yep. Why is it so wrong? You have the anti, quote-unquote anti-vax side, which everybody usually on the anti-vax side is, coming to the, is moving more to the anti-vax side, quote-unquote, because they've ex- they were very much pro-vaccinations right until they've started noticing experience or noticing or having experiences where the vaccines were no longer beneficial and then they started to question things like hey you know this happened to my child but it's like no you're not allowed to ask that question now you're you're no longer allowed to contribute to the welfare of your child we'll take care of that and it's a crazy concept so then if it's known and and i think this is the biggest point i want to highlight with the whole pro versus anti-vaccination thing because um, I think I think that's a very ideological extreme. Mm-hmm. But why is it wrong to ask? Because the people on the anti-vax side are saying, "Hey, there's people injured by vaccines. Even if they don't die, they could have you know seizures and other things. So what can we do to make the science safer?" Mm-hmm. Right? Because right. I think everybody agrees on the anti-vax side that yeah, we want to make things safer so everybody's safe. Because that's actually the biggest concern with vaccines: are they safe? Um. But on the pro-vax side, there's no argument for that. And there's no response either. The response is simply, shut up and take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have no sympathy for any of the people injured by vaccines that are real? Not, I'm not talking about maybe like a conspiracy uh, or, or, or non-proven. I'm talking about court-ruled case, ruled, yes, we caused the injury, right? right. Bear, Merck, all these other companies have admitted to these things globally in different different scenarios which there's what like five billion dollars of of payments of vaccine injury so far i think oh yeah yeah i think it's around there i'm not sure but yeah it's something five billion yeah Yeah. and and they and they actually cap it too per injury so you can't be like one person racked up 20 million it doesn't work like that so what is the response from the pro-vaccination side other than saying shut up and take it what is your response to the parent who has somebody who has their child injured to it because from the anti-vax side, I could say, well, at least they're going to say, hey, we need to do this. We need to look into more science and figure out how we get these things safe before we just force them, force them upon everybody else. Mm-hmm. From the pro-vaccine side, there's no argument and there's no sympathy towards those parents. It's like, I don't care if the, in- if the injury rate is one in a million. Are you willing for, that child's, for your child to be that one in a million? Because it's going to be somebody's child. Yep. And I think that that needs to be stressed. 
because I've never heard, in all the arguments I've ever heard, I've never heard the pro-vaccination side ever say anything other than just shut up and take it, which is crazy. Um, I don't know how we can support a science that says, yeah, some people are going to be injured. Like, yeah, everybody has to take Advil or aspirin or penicillin. Like, (laughs) you do know there's people allergic to these things, right? Talk about the opposite of individualized medicine. Here's something for everybody. You need to take this to go to school. What? Yeah. Like, what if I what if I have a genetic test that tells me that I have certain, you know, SNPs that will make it hard for me to detox heavy metals? Yeah. Oh, wh- whoops. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we add so many. And then, and then the other parts of that is in the science aspect, we we shuffle these things through so many different animal cultures mm. that one, we're exposing ourselves to viruses that we know, but we don't even know if they're harmful to humans like SV40, which is a mm. real thing. Mm. Right. And then we found out later, yeah, it is harmful to people. But sorry, all the children who have now brain tumors from that. It just is what it is. (laughs) And then the second part of that is that we're also exposing ourselves to viruses we don't know exist. And how do we can't test where we don't know exists. So, you know, yeah, why not look at things at a more individual level? And if you're if you're going to be exposed to something more and you choose to vaccinate for that specific thing, then, yeah, why? You know, if that's your choice. But to say it's mandatory for everybody, regardless of your risk of exposure, that makes no sense. Yeah. You know? Yep. And it's like you said, with informed consent, there is no informed consent on that because I'm not consenting to anything. It's, it's mandatory. And that, and that's just, <laughs> you know, talk about, I don't know. It, it goes really in line with the whole germ theory versus terrain mm, theory mm-hmm. you know that's very relevant to everything going on right now yes you know do you do you fall in line with the more of the terrain side of things i would say right i say i say both are real right germ theory has some flaws in it in its application right and that's a very nice way to put it yeah it's it's yeah it's because it's a theory theories don't have to be a hundred percent correct right they're they're mental constructs that we use to work our way to navigate our way through the world more effectively with making minimal error. Mm-hmm. So as time goes on and those errors begin to build up, we readjust our theory to make it more manageable to proceed without, you know, causing right. injury. Right. That's the whole point of thought and science. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the terrain theory, which is so crucial in naturopathic medicine, uh, because it's individualized your personal experiences your background where you're from etc that matters to your health mm-hmm. and and you're a whole living being so there's no part of it that we could just cut out and say yeah you know what um you had cancer but it's completely unrelated to your mental emotional emotional state so we just cut out the piece of tissue that we say is cancerous and now you just you yeah. know go on throughout your life and you're fine right it's like no that doesn't that's not a per- that's not a healthy person they're still dealing with a lot you know right um, why did the person get the cancer right did it ever get talked you know discussed right um and i, I think that's actually a, a really good point because we have a a model in our society where we deal with pills medication and correction uh not of an imbalance but of a symptom mm. and that can't be sustained forever 
Right. Like there's going to be too many problems that arise over time from using that model. For example, the toxicity of medications. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they. I just read about the recall for uh, metformin. I saw that. Yeah, the extended that. release. Yeah, yeah. And what what were they saying? I didn't get a chance to read it. Uh, essentially, that in the storage process or travel process, can you know how cannabis can like rise above the point? Oh yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. So and essentially that there is a, a chemical that would increase with storage or travel or transport and that chemical is carcinogenic and so they were talking about releasing it so wow man i mean remember what's the uh third leading cause of death in the united states i don't even know if it's the third leading cause third of death. or fourth i would say it's first but <laughs> <laughs> if you're not I, being too conservative yeah, yeah. If i'm not being conservative which they're because they're reporting it on it themselves and i think that's important to note that medical yeah. care is the is fighting to be the number one leading cause of death in the united states that's huge people taking uh pills as prescribed yep. prescription medication and prescribing surgeries yeah done that were either unnecessary or just you know error yeah. complications and the person dies i mean that should be a wake-up call to people i yeah. mean all these over-the-counter drugs that i'll never forget dr fior shout out dr fior uh in class said that one bottle of tylenol can kill 10 children yeah and that's just sold everywhere like no big deal yeah that's that's why i always had a hard time uh when they tried to push this idea that a natural medicine the reason they're so tightly regulating is because it could be dangerous i'm like you (laughs) you can kill yourself with almost any over-the-counter medication that you walk around at any superstore i mean supermarket right you you can go pick something up that can kill you like yeah it's it's not difficult at all and people don't even realize how i mean the number one cause of ulcers right now are nsaids Mm -hmm. so or at least in the united states Mm -hmm. is nsaid use so medication that we're picking up over the counter right now is the number one cause of another issue that a lot of people suffer from a lot of people suffer from and then the other ones going on the leading causes of death Mm -hmm. you know when we have heart disease that to me it's so funny because we just talked about the legalizing cannabis use right and how cannabis as a medication is not accepted right not everywhere it's still federally illegal and things like that right Right. but at the same time why isn't mcdonald's federally illegal because they are killing people they're contributing well i don't know if i can say this on this podcast (laughs) Uh, erase that (laughs) yeah it's it's an open conversation so you know these fast food companies i'll say fast food companies right i'll I'll exempt mcdonald's (laughs) these fast food companies are killing people by the millions and there's just no legal recourse to any of it. Just, you know, we can do that. Yep. And we're having arguments about, you know, certain countries don't want people to go on vegan diets. <laughs> the only disease shown to reverse heart disease, which is one of the leading killers in the world. And you're, you have institutions and, and medical advisors saying, no, we should ban that type of diet that excludes that, which can reverse heart disease yeah i mean <laughs> that's <laughs> you, you watch the there's a few good documentaries about that uh forks over knives cowspiracy mm-hmm. where they talk about the whole plant-based just yeah there's so many like all these you know fast food companies and kellogg's yeah. and all these main you know processed packaged foods companies 
donate, you know, and fund all these huge corporations that, you know, American, you know, Diabetes Association, American Heart Association, all these. Yeah. Like, oh, Cheerios, good for the heart. Oh, by the way, we didn't tell you about the glyphosate. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're full of glyphosates in them, but they're allowed to promote their good for the heart on the box. Right. Think of how crazy that is, you know. It's it to me it it boggles the mind because I'm like this is we we subsidize the slaughter of billions of animals a year and I would have a, I mean I always think it's interesting when I have the health discussion when we talk about diet people mm-hmm. because people refuse to even watch how their foods prepared right I'm like I I don't know how I can have a conversation with you about sincerity about diet in a sincere manner and you refuse to even watch the videos where your food comes from i have no show me a carrot getting plucked out the dirt i have no problem watching that anytime (laughs) i have no struggle with it i have seen apple we have apple and orange fields in florida everywhere it's no it's normal you could see that so like the argument for people to be like you know i think you know it's and i i understand if you arguing about eating meat is different about medical reasons Mm mm-hmm but we have to start with the, the first conversation of where the hell is this food coming from in the first place? And people don't even want to watch where they get their meat from, but they're going to argue. Like, it's a Google fact. Right. If you open a, a package of ground beef, you have over 400 cows in there. One wow. pound. One pound. That's over 400 parts of different cows. Whoa. What are their, what's the health of those cows, their disease state? What parts of the cow are you eating? But then at the same time, people who don't know that fact or don't watch where their meat comes from are going to argue with saying, no, nah, McDonald's is perfectly healthy for you. Like, that needs to exist. And I'm like, what? How can, you, how can you argue that but then not have any of the facts? Yeah. It, wow. It's, it's arguing with, uh, with I, uh, I think it was Carl Jung that said, people don't ha- have ideas. Ideas have people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's. I th- it was either ideas or, or something along that that line, but I completely agree with that. You know, most people go through life without questioning the world that they were born into. Um, yep. You know. Yep. Wow, man. And and then not only the medical reasons of it and just the humanity of it, but you know, environmentally. Don't yeah. tell me you're into the environment and you're eating a whole bunch of meat, yeah. especially red meat. I mean, one cheeseburger is like equivalent to like not uh, taking a shower for a month yeah like that's how much water is used yeah in the you know growing of the corn and soy and then the feeding of the to the cow and it's like we use over half the crops we produce on earth to feed the 72 billion animals that we kill that's just the land animals that's not even including the fish which is in the trillions wow so yeah you know we talk about the health of our oceans and and things like that and it's like that's not a that's very it's very cancerous mm-hmm. to to behave in that manner and think that you and I I use the word cancerous very intently because if a cancer is a rapidly dividing cell that refuses to go at apoptosis and it, it begins to suck all the nutrients around, you know, then that to me when you look at the that behavior on a global scale of how human beings can behave on this planet. Like that's a very cancerous ideology to say i'm going to kill 72 billion animals a year and it's funny because at the same time these the same people doing that will make the argument about there's too many people on earth 
Right. I was just gonna. <laughs> I literally was just gonna ask you. Do you think it's overpopulated? Not at all. No. Not at all. No. We're we're being very inefficient. Right. Exactly. Why it's, do we not subsidize farmers who are growing crops? Mm-hmm. Like not for animal feed, mm-hmm. but for human feed. Mm-hmm. You know. How I many? How many people die a day from you know severe kwashiorkors? Children around the world mm. and adults, and it's not because we don't have enough food to feed everybody, but you have people dumping food into the oceans because we're talking about manufacturing prices and things like that. So mm. it's not that it's not possible or easy. It's actually very easy to feed everybody on Earth right now with the numbers we have and we can raise it more yeah um it's what are you feeding them yeah exactly and how yeah and that's that's really the issue that comes along because when you when you look at how we're utilizing the earth it's for more for business and profit and less for i mean the fact that eight people own more wealth than all of humanity combined they own more wealth yeah eight people own more than half the wealth on this planet Wow. That is a serious problem. Yeah. And that's not because I just want to buy Gucci shoes. I don't care right, right. about that. Right. That is a problem. And when you're talking about abject poverty that exists for most people around the world, you know? Yeah, um, man. I mean, even just the the homeless, you know, homelessness issue here in the yeah. United States and just around the world. But here, especially like my cousin that comes here from Switzerland and he's like, man, it's a great country. You know, he's like, I just couldn't live here. Like, you don't have free education. You know, you know your health care is... <laughs> not free and it's a disaster quite honestly you know and um how do you have all this money and there's all these homeless people and i'm like dude i don't know i don't have an answer for you i read a statistic a while back saying that there were more empty houses than homeless people wow yeah there you go yeah but we and i know because everybody listening at this moment is like we can't just put them in those houses though the only reason we say that is because we work hard for what we have and so we feel like it would be unjust to just help somebody else out like that but if we're talking about the better the Im- improvement of society the better way of life um where life is actually valued mm-hmm. then we have to try to create something different which is i find it interesting you know Karl marx and his critique of capitalism it's not that it was un incorrect or or unfair i think every economist every philosopher has read his work says yeah absolutely it's 100 percent predicated on like it's true 100 percent. what he says is true mm-hmm. they argue with the solution which is fair to argue about the solution but <laughs> the reality of where the inordinate love of material wealth that's completely constructed mentally that doesn't actually exist you know money mm-hmm. um the idea that you love these material things that literally only exist in your mind and if we just said that's useless then it's just useless yeah like that idea is is so destructive in so many ways towards the improvement of human of quality of life you know it's, yeah it's ridiculous because a lot of people that are in that kind of mindset it, it's very ego driven yeah and then if you all of a sudden take the ego away from them like under you know yeah. taking a rug underneath them it's like it just obliterates their reality they don't know what they're like uh, uh but but that's that's my identity and yeah <laughs> That's like, well. I went through that when I was when I gave up soccer. Mm-hmm. I went through that. It's a it's a real thing when you withdraw from to go through withdraw from something that you identified so closely with. Yeah. You know, I always prided myself on my ability to play and, and, and be one of the best. And then I had to stop playing on purpose to 
where I stopped training and everything. Not because something was wrong with me. Yeah. I was like, no, I was literally just like, I feel really lost when I was like, I'm not going to play anymore. Wow. And so when you remove yourself from something that you held so strongly, it can be, you know, shaking, very shaking to the core foundation of who you are. And I know not everybody wants to go through that journey, mm-hmm. um, but I would encourage you to try to, to look at yourself and find the things that you strongly identify with and then start deconstructing them more critically and seeing why do you identify as this um, kind of like the joke that Jack Nicholson made in, in uh, anger management hmm. when he asked Adam Sandler he's like so who are you and then he was giving his description of his job and he's like no I didn't ask that's nice that's your profession I said who are you right and then he started to describe other things he's like well that's just your personality but who are you and then he got really angry you know <laughs> in that scene right um, but I think that's a, that's actually a good exercise for people to go through is deconstruct the things that what ha- what would happen if you weren't American, you know? If you strongly identify with your nationality, what happens if you were born somewhere else? Right. Would you be strongly identified with that nationality? Then how could and then walk yourself through the mental exercise of what would happen if strong mentality you living here in America met strong intel- mentality you living in Russia, and you guys met each other? How would you guys even interact? You know? It's like Dwight when he fights himself in the office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> perfect analogy yeah. exactly like how would that how would that and then it, and then they're just like ah, and then yeah you, and then you should realize hopefully after that mental exercise like oh shit <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's not who that's not who you are that's just a construct of who you've identified as but if you lost that could you reconstruct yourself and to be somebody different and are you happy with the person that you are you know mm-hmm. i think that's actually a legitimate exercise that people should do is wake up look in the mirror and ask themselves are they happy with who they are mm-hmm whether that comes with physical appearance, because a lot of people struggle with that, men included. Sure. You know, that's not, excuse me, that's not really discussed much, but um, our fascination with the material, it's not just imposed upon women. No. I, you know, I, I've shopped at all sorts of different stores and when they're sales, because I'm a responsible shopper, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you buy an Abercrombie, let's, let's say you go buy an Abercrombie shirt. Mm-hmm it's like on the shirt is just like this naked guy with a six pack of abs and it's like this has nothing to do with a shirt i bought a shirt why am i seeing this guy in underwear with an 18 pack like that makes no sense to me oh on the bag yeah on the bag yeah Yeah, it makes no sense but it's like why that image yeah why that image that's not the logo of the company and then you know we strive to uh how many people strive uh men talking about going to the gym strive to have the image of like how the rock looks on screen mm-hmm. you know and when the rock will tell you he himself may go through extreme uh physiological changes to even create that appearance so it's like why are we doing all of that and why as a society are we forcing that upon ourselves because all we have to do to stop is just stop yeah it's nothing else just stop right i mean body image man i mean it, it's related to you know obviously it's a big cause of eating disorders and mm-hmm. eating disorders are the most the highest cause of mortality of you know of psychiatric disorders yeah. it's it's wild it's yeah. it's so um it's just tough and and there's there's a lot of things that that can be done like like you said just stop that that's that can be just a radical change like that it yeah. really can happen that instantaneously yeah um some people you know have to have near death experiences for that to happen unfortunately some people yeah can have that happen you know, through what, you know, prayer or meditation or, or breath work. 
some people can take a psychedelic and have that happen. They're using different psychedelics and research uh, for anorexia and different eating disorders, actually. So, oh, that's interesting. It's very, I think it's, it makes sense because, you know, it gets people to, it can get people to kind of have that kind of, oh, shit, you know, kind of moment of like this pure love for yourself and love for everybody. And you just, you know, having a glimpse of that even just for a few hours can be extremely healing. You know, they found in a lot of the studies that the more uh, somebody rates their experience as being mystical mm-hmm. or spiritual, yeah, uh, the more healing there was, the more likely they were to get over their PTSD or depression or Absolutely. or whatever. Yeah. So I can see that because I, you know, one universal, one of the universals that I learned in psychology is that consciousness, their exploration of consciousness is universal. Mm-hmm. So whether you're on the, <clears throat> towards the, the death end where you're almost unconscious versus to where you would be like the highest one. Most people attribute that to some kind of uh, spiritual deity or something of that nature or awakening, uh, you know. So it's one of the universals that we all have. And, you know, Descartes did say, I think, therefore I am. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess that's kind of been butchered now. I've heard people say that in the sense of you think whatever you think you are you are and it's not that's not what he was saying what he was saying was validating existence by saying i know that my nationality is just a construct an idea mm-hmm. i know that um every other characteristic that you identify with can be deconstructed and, and can be an illusion and he even went so far as to say what if this was a dream and i'm in somebody else's dream but the one thing i know that makes me real is because i have the capacity to think so mm-hmm. in all of those scenarios, the one thing that's consistent is his ability to say, I can think, therefore I know I must exist to some degree. Right. And so that's, that's what that means. And, you know, it's, it's funny because it's one of the universals of psychology. A lot of people have come to that conclusion as well. Um, but, you know, he's the famous one for it. Now, that's separate from Descartes saying, you know, things about the mind-body connection, right? And he was kind of on the other side of that. Not he was, he was a dualist, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Whereas what I think you and I are more into believing the other side of things, right? Where the mind and body are connected. And are yes. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't find a lot of support for dualism. Um, I mean, there's arguments <clears throat> and a lack of understanding, which kind of support dualism. Um, and I think that's where most people get caught at because most people don't analytic, analytically think about these things throughout mm-hmm. their day. You know, mm-hmm. most people don't sit there and think, how do I prove I'm real to myself? You know, <laughs> right. so, um, but Descartes, yeah, Descartes pushed very, very strongly the dual identity of saying that your spirit is one thing, the body is another. Um, but my very simple rebuttal to all of that would just be, how do you separate energy from form? Because mm-hmm. physics has yet to do it, has yet to do it. Like mm-hmm. we know that energy, which most people who would subscribe to the spirit would say yes the the spirit is what animates the body. Um, so if the spirit is what animates the physical flesh or the material, then how do you separate energy from form? How do you separate, like, electricity exists, but it's manifested through that light bulb. If there was no light bulb, you would have no reason to say, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, that electricity exists. It's like gravity. There's no we can't physically touch gravity but if there's no material object upon which gravity can act then how can you say gravity exists right so if we can't separate the two it seems pretty pointless to try to argue they're in 
their individual differences to that degree. I think it's important to understand them, to understand that there's aspects um, that are more spiritual versus more material. I think that's important to understand, but I, I couldn't separate the two because I, I don't. That's not possible. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and I think that that just be my quickest rebuttal to um, Descartes' dualism. So, yeah, makes sense. Um, what? So, random question: If you could have dinner with three people, current or past, who, who would they be and why? Who? That's a hard one. I know, right? There's been a lot of people who've lived on this earth. Um. So it's a quick dinner, you know, not a. Like I was a like, how late? I was supposed to ask. You know, like a couple hours, maybe not like a whole day or a week or anything. Like, I'm not gonna I, learn from that much, but okay, it's a okay. quick combo. <laughs> okay. Um. All right, so somebody I haven't met. Let's. let's I'll go with that. Somebody I haven't met and haven't. So this is completely idealistic. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, I think the. If I could speak his language, one of the Dalai Lamas would have been cool to meet with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, uh, let's see. Maybe somebody, probably one of the ancient uh, revolutionaries of Haiti. Oh, cool. Or maybe maybe even like a uh, Che Guevara. Mm. Like maybe somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or and then possibly, you know, like a guy like Imhotep or wow. maybe one of the Islamic scholars of the time, like Ibn Sina or something like that. Um, I think that'd be an interesting conversation. I like it. It'd be short, you know. Like you said, we're limited to an hour, but I just think I would enjoy that conversation. Or maybe I just do a loved one, like an ancestor of mine. Yeah, you know, that's a good one. I think I think that would I think that might be in there too because yeah. it's 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 nice to learn about yourself. Mm, you know where you came from yeah that's something i definitely identify with uh, a lot of people here especially in the black experience because i don't think a lot of people know that like a lot of like the name i have my last name uh bernier it's mm-hmm. a it's a slave name mm. and so like we wear the names that we were given in slavery and so we don't have our own names in that mm. sense um, Ancestry.com Like there's always Black people joking About Ancestry.com Because it's like Who do I look up You know <laughs> and it's, That's yeah, a reality yeah. That there that it stops At a certain point For you So um, I think the more You can see yourself The better it is Because um, In all paradigms You You relate better When you can connect It to yourself And so That's kind of speaking on the climate of what's going on right now a lot of people feel like they're disconnected and and this they've been disillusioned mm-hmm. by the american presentation like um like the gi bill for example like the fact that black soldiers were not offered the same um rights and benefits that other soldiers got like that's ridiculous wow you know i don't think i knew that holy shit yeah yeah that's there's crazy. they were um well even areas that they were because areas that they were supposed to be able to get land for for the gi bill they were not included in that oh. and then and then also you ha- i mean there's so much the funds the allocation there's so much that actually just like didn't apply to them whatsoever so it was like they got completely screwed over by that wow. um yeah it's a real thing so i i would probably definitely say meeting with one of my ancestors would be nice 
just to have a history pre-slavery. You know? Yeah. Like, that's a huge... That's a huge reality. I don't think a lot of people who don't have that background or experience, they don't understand that feeling, you know? So. Yeah, man. That's, I guess if I were to answer that myself, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but Elon Musk, for sure. One of them. Mm. Um, You guys would definitely blaze it up. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. (laughs) I think he's down. I think he's more open. I don't think he did on this last Joe Rogan. No, I don't remember. I've, I think I finished it all. Yeah, he didn't do it the second time. <laughs> he got in too much trouble the first he time. He learned. He learned his lesson. Nah, he's probably he's probably waiting. He's probably building the suspense, and next time he's gonna come with like a huge blunt, <laughs> a two-handed will. blunt, and then announce that he's getting in the industry. Yeah, or something <laughs> like that's probably why yeah. it's a setup. <laughs> but uh, who else? Um, Nikola Tesla for sure. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. And then. I don't know. Maybe somebody like crazy random, like Samuel Hahnemann or something like that. No, okay, okay. <laughs> I think he'd be a trip. That'd be a funny one. <laughs> that would be a hilarious dinner. I almost just want that recorded. Like the four of you guys. That'd be hilarious. We're just taking remedies. <laughs> yeah, that would. <laughs> yes, that would be hilarious. I don't know if Hahnemann would like that, though. It's not so <laughs> classical. Yeah, he'd definitely be mad about that. He's but. not into the combinations. <laughs> hey, listen, man, you only have an hour and a half here. You might as well get with it. <laughs> oh, We're looking for a real acute here. <laughs> so um, something random about your uh, traveling, you know, your favorite places. Where, where have you visited that you really liked? And, okay. You know, what have you learned about yourself during that? So, um, I've so far, I've only traveled within the Americas, um, Caribbean, Central, and South. Um, one thing, I will say the first thing I learned when I got to Mexico, I had a five-year-old teach me this, which is, you know, I like to let everybody teach me, mm-hmm. um, because you always learn something completely different. Definitely. A five-year-old taught me that there's only one America. And I was like, oh my God, he's right. Because it's connected. So technically it's right you you know we could separate and partition it how we would like but technically it's one america um hmm. um so that was that was like a funny experience i had when i got to mexico i had a, i was helping him with his geography homework and he was asking about the continents and i was like yeah seven continents because that's what i learned when i was in middle school you know antarctica including mm-hmm. and then he was like no it's only five and they weren't ca- including antarctica and then they were counting america as only one Wow. So I was like, wow, that's just fascinating. I was like, I got that wrong. A five-year-old's homework. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but my favorite place, I love going to, as chaotic as it is right now, I would say I love going to Haiti. Um, I, th- I think it's hard for me to pick a favorite place. Yeah. I would say I learned something different in each place. Right. Um, and Brazil. Mm. It, Brazil is very interesting. It's... Um, I loved the experience. I loved the experience when I was there. Very chill. I felt very at home. Mm. Um, it was kind of expensive, mm-hmm. which I, when I say that, I mean expensive for an American, surprisingly expensive because I expected it to be like super cheap mm-hmm. because of the currency difference. Right. See, I'm aware, I'm aware of my privileges living here. <laughs> uh, to me, that's the silliest thing how we have currency differences. But anyway, um, yeah, Brazil was very interesting. I learned a lot there. Had made some good friendships there. 
um panama is so beautiful from above man mm. like you just want to go there and just you see it and it looks like heaven like it looks amazing yeah. um i learned about the different political realities that people live in um and how much that contributes towards the thinking of the people mm-hmm. you know and how we can be so caught up in where we live that we don't see outside of it and so other realities don't even like hit well, us at all yeah have because, you been to cuba no that's what i want to go to okay, that's yeah. the next one so that's i mean you know one of the yeah is it yeah three communist places left in the world yeah i definitely want to visit there yeah. um that's that's definitely i heard it's trip. amazing i have a lot of canadian cousins that have been I, to me i just love the old school look of it yeah you know like preserved in the 50s and yeah 60s right yeah that's super cool to me um and i think what i learned the most about myself Mm-hmm. To continue on that question is probably when I I didn't know the influence that where I was raised that had on me until I traveled, mm-hmm. and then I got put onto other paradigms in the world. You know, when you shift, I shifted the scenery, right? And so I learned about different eating habits. I learned about different lifestyle habits. The idea that people take siestas. Yeah, like, blew my mind. I got to Mexico. I was like, "Where the hell is everybody?" Uh, I got things to do, and I'm walking around. Everything is closed. Everything. <laughs> and I'm like, "Uh, what's like? Was this, is this a holiday that I don't know about?" And it's like, "No, I'm just taking a siesta." It's like, "Go chill." Yeah. Like, what? Just go chill. Like, no, I have to do this right now. So, um, you know, there's just different aspects that I learned about how much it impacted me here, and also, I learned something that I think most of us who are born of a uh from a different background or parents uh, or who are children of diaspora essentially Mm -hmm. that we don't really have a home per se we always most of us i mean there's obviously exceptions some people feel very strongly with where they're at now and don't identify with the parents the land of their parents etc right um but a lot of us who are not like that who are not completely assimilating to where we're at just to blend in we don't really have a home we we feel at home to some degree and then when we travel to the land of our parents we feel at home there as well Mm -hmm. but we're also but it's instantly recognized that we're the foreigner so it's this really weird dynamic yeah um so amongst haitians i feel american but amongst Americans, I feel definitely feel the Haitian influence, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a good way to put it. Yeah, I never thought about it that way, but it's so true. When I go to Europe, I'm, I stand out very much so. You know, <laughs> yeah. to visit my dad's family all there, that I'm the American cousin. Yeah, and then you know, and then I here, you know, I was born. You were born here too, right? Yeah, I was yeah. born here. Yeah, yeah, I was born here too. So first generation, <laughs> Pablo's here, yeah. and. uh you know, so I was born here and it just definitely growing up, I, you know, like I I had an ESL teacher up until like fifth, sixth wow. grade. Wow. Yeah. Because Albanian was my first language and then I learned English in preschool. Interesting. So, yeah. So I still speak Albanian, you know, not like great. I don't practice it that often, but right. I can, I can get around for sure. Um, so it's having that perspective traveling internationally ever since i was little i've been very lucky to go you know and every time we go to visit family in europe we visit somewhere else in europe so i've seen quite a bit you know i've been very 
lucky. I've never been to South America though, so it's interesting. Okay. And you've never been to Europe. I've never right? been to Europe. Wow. Yeah, we gotta we gotta do that. We gotta yeah. definitely switch that around. Definitely. I I've always the only reason I've avoided Europe so far is because it's just so far, and I figured if I go, I want to spend some time there. Yeah. You know? I want to go spend for a month. A month. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I've never done that. I usually spend two weeks on my trip. That's usually the good bound where I'm like. Okay, I've had enough vacation. Yeah. I've also got to experience the culture and the land a little bit. Right. And I never, I never, this is my rule to traveling, and this is why I don't travel with other people usually. I don't travel to resorts. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to live in America in Cuba or yeah. America in, you know, Dominican Republic. I want to go and just experience the life of the people. Right. So I go eat at the, the place where everybody else is standing in line to just go eat. Because of my, my look, I'm, people don't know where I'm from, right. so I, people usually think I'm from that country <laughs> or somewhere very close to them, uh-huh. and you know they don't know. That's so. good. You're a chameleon. You blend in. Yeah. The- when I was in Brazil, I had a few people ask me for weed. <laughs> I didn't even know what they were asking me for at first because they were using slang words. Uh, but you know, you get the feel. You're like, right. man, you're asking me for weed. No, I don't got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So yeah, it was, it was fun. It's, it's definitely nice going somewhere and blending in. Um, because you get a different experience than when you're the foreigner in that land. Speaking of Brazilians and weed, when I was in Barcelona, um, I met this guy that was Brazilian from Sao Paulo, and he, I was just walking around in the beach, and I just, uh, he just had a, a good vibe, and I'm like, hey man, do you have any extra weed by chance? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, sure, come sit down, and we'd like just smoke together, and like yeah. ended up being friends. Like we went to the Pablo Picasso Museum. Nice. <laughs> And took a little LSD before, and that was a wild that experience. Is, yeah. <laughs> Real, I think Picasso highly, was on some LSD himself. Yeah. He might have been, man, because I was just blown away. Las Meninas, just phew, whole other <laughs> <laughs> interpretation of that painting. Um, but, yeah, uh, shout out Hassan. He's a cool guy, Brazilian Brazilian friend I made in Spain. That's um, awesome, man. Yeah. I've, uh, I've traveled quite a bit, you know, and I've been very lucky, and, and I think that like you said earlier in the beginning, your, your goal is to, you know, connect different people from different lands and, you know, mm-hmm. different places. It's kind of like breaking down those barriers, you know, like yeah. we, w- what does it matter where we're from or, you know, what we're like, we have a lot of truth and good and healing to offer people in the world. Like, right. you know, we, we have a very big vision for medicine in the future, I think, and what, what this whole paradigm shift is coming to. Yes that you know i think we that's why we're not we're not backing down like i've told you about yeah getting threats like <laughs> i'm putting it out there i'm ready yeah. yeah no i i think the the paradigm of medicine has to be discussed because mm-hmm. it's essential to life but right now we have an industry and 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 companies and businesses that do not want it discussed and it's not for because it's for the benefit of all it's because it's for the benefit of a few who can financially, you know, benefit yep. from the suffering of other people. Yep. The fact that you have CEOs saying we don't want to make cures. The fact that the medical industry thinks that they can monopolize a word, the word cure. Like you guys didn't invent that word. That's not an industry made word. It's a word in the English language. I'll use it anytime I want. Yeah. If you can cure something, I see no problem in saying why you why can't you cure it and the fear of oh don't use that word yeah don't use this don't use the c word yeah like that's the i i just i don't stand with that fear because i don't see what, what good that fear does like we need to stand with our with our philosophy and what we believe to be the our you know our truth yeah and, and because our intentions are good to help 
Right. Like my podcast name, Healing Intentions. Like, yes. That's what our intentions are. And I think, I think to take it a step further mm-hmm. with that, it's not just our intentions are good. We're right. Mm-hmm. And so why <laughs> am I lying? Because you're going to threaten me legally for being right. I'm like, fine. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't like to fight anymore, but there are certain fights that I definitely will take on. Yeah. And that's one of them. If you're talking about I'm 100% in the right, I'm standing on the side of correctness and truth, and you're a liar, but you want me to be silent because your wickedness can just run unopposed? No, that's not where I stand. Because you have more money and power at the yeah. moment. Well, that's not how it used to be. You know, talk about what's traditional medicine. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's not what's going on right now with these pharmaceuticals and. Uh, there's a, like I keep repeating. There's a time and place for conventional medicine. I don't mean to say like oh, I hate yes. those guys and they they suck. Like no, there's we we really mu- very much appreciate our allopathic colleagues for a lot of things oh, that yeah. they can do. You yeah. Know? Um, but I, for chronic disease, it's a different story. A lot of times, <laughs> chronic preventative. There's a lot of things to where it needs to be, and everybody knows this. The right. general public knows this. This is not even a conversation that the general public is scared to have mm-hmm. it's traditional it's alternative medicine traditional doctors that are scared to have this conversation because the general public wants it yep. you know people don't want most people especially the the new generation coming up they see the game they don't want to be put on pills for the rest of their life yeah you're taking a medication that never reverses your condition and you can actually reverse your condition but you're choosing not like you don't have any help and support in actually doing that or you go to a hospital and the same food that you're eating is going to cause you to be right back there next week like yeah. that's ridiculous yeah that's just ridiculous. got a, a double bypass here's a roast beef sandwich yeah yeah here's a roast beef sandwich from downstairs it's like extra <laughs> grease corn oil <laughs> like come on man so yeah i i'm not i you know those of us in naturopathic medicine many of us have gotten here because of our affinity to rebel as Morpheus would say, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I definitely think um, that it's a revolutionary time. So we need to take advantage of how we how we can, you know, the the threat to stop talking about the immune system and and things like that. It's like no, I'm not. I'm gonna talk about biochemistry and physiology all I want. If you have a problem with it, then you know, do something. But right. That's. It's crazy. To, it's crazy to me how people give into these things. And I'm like, you have to draw a line somewhere. Yeah. You have to. Because if you don't, they're not going to stop. Nope. Because it's, it's, it's kind of the, actually, it's kind of the universal curse. People who have good intentions and are trying to be good people go out of their way to not affront anybody else. So they, they, they try not to um, aggress upon anybody else. Mm-hmm. People who don't feel like that have no limit in aggressing upon other people. So at, that's why it's, it's important to have that balance to where it's like, no, I'm not going to look to create chaos and fight and, and animosity and contention for no reason. I'm not doing that. But at the same time, if you have truth and you're helping people, why would you let somebody wicked limit that ability? It doesn't make any sense to me. I understand. Don't, the, and the main reason is, because people are scared of repercussions of what will happen if they take that stance. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Some of us aren't, well, <laughs> you know? No, because, yeah, it's, you said we have to draw the line, and it's not only about <clears throat> being on the defensive, but I feel like even we have to be on the offensive sometimes. Absolutely. Of like, hey, we're, 
what's the what's the fear about IV vitamin C? Yes. I mean, really, it's cheap. That's why. That's the fear of it. It's yeah, too cheap. There's. It's very. And it's, and it's cra- You know, some people look at that and they're like, "But that that's that's a crazy way to think. It's not about the money only." Well, well, that's a that's a paradigm thing. Yeah. Once again. Yeah. You for, know? I would say for a lot of people, it's about the money, and then for some people. I mean, depending on how deep you want to get on this podcast, <laughs> I mean, if you give me the green light, I'll say it. Yeah. All right. So then you also have people like Henry Kissinger who are talking about Memorandum 200 and, and literally killing populations of people. Mm-hmm. So don't think there's not an invested interest in not making people healthy around the world. There, there, that is a real, very real reality that exists out there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it's not just you're right for some people it's not just about the money but they see the opportunity to cull certain populations and let things spread so that there's also more fear and they can amass more power and things like that because they don't value human life like that right so yeah you know that the idea that i think it was i'm pretty sure it was no maybe maybe it wasn't kissinger i want to put that on him Hmm. but it was somebody in one of these administrations who said that it's easier to um, right now, it's easier to kill a million. In the past, it was easier to control a million people than it was to kill them. Now, because of our technology, it's easier to kill a million people to control than control them. And they, and they were discussing this around population control and things like that. Mm. And these are real documents that exist out there. It's not like it's. I mean, this is like Library of Congress stuff. You just go pull up. <laughs> so, right, right. um, you know that this reality that cer- certain people don't want the best for everybody. That needs to be understood because when you're trying to bring that, make that a reality and you find such strong opposition, like the science is settled, shut up kind of thing. But then we know from the studies that the CDC ran that William Thompson ended up shredding the evidence for mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Autism increases with vaccinations. There's an increased risk for autism. If you give the vaccine, I believe it was younger than uh, 12 months to the MMR vaccine to black and Latino children. And it was like, yeah, there's an increased risk. It's noted. And they scientifically noted it. So, and he's on record saying this, but then they also pass a law saying that you're not allowed to deposition him or any of the other scientists involved in that study. Man, I just saw this thing too, that said that there's different vaccines based on what, like for Medicare versus if you have insurance versus there's different manufactured vaccines. Oh yes, that's just. That's I didn't know about that. I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot is, of what's in the Medicare vaccine. You know, it's like, whoa, there, man. There's a lot of vaccines that are um, that are produced and sent to other countries that actually can't qualify to pass and be used here. Yeah. But then they send them to other countries. Um, like Bill Gates, maybe when he was a part of. Some oh, of Bill Gates stuff. has definitely done that plenty of times. Yeah. So he got kicked out of India, I believe. Right? Yeah, I'm sure he's gonna try to sue me now for this too. <laughs> Um, whatever. If you do that, then you're only going to be on record saying what you did. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. right. So, um, but yeah, you have people like, uh, uh, and just other companies like Bayer has knowingly given, uh, bad vaccines that cause adverse health effects in Central America. They were banned from being used here, but then they didn't want to toss their whole batch because that was a lot of money that went into production. So then they sold them to other countries throughout Central America. Wow. Yeah, and this is this is like that's why I said these are like YouTube, Google facts. It's not even these aren't even conspiracies. They're just realities that most people don't right 
you know present themselves with on a daily basis because they're not how many people think about you know the little kid over living in ecuador you know people don't those things don't run through people's minds so right a lot of people you know what if you've never been outside of the country and you have zero concept whatsoever of ecuador it's just some yeah. like abstract idea yeah you know i know a lot of people here who don't have passports or say i've never traveled have yeah. no interest in traveling Same. never left the state yeah or if i ask them have you traveled their immediate reaction is they're thinking inter they're inter within the country and, and like i'm like no no, no i meant internationally have you traveled mm -hmm. they're like no i don't have a passport I'm like, mm -hmm. why don't you have a passport and they they think that life looks like television that there's not just people like you and i sitting somewhere in another country who are just regular people like everybody else on this planet and just living their life to the best of their ability yeah which is what the average person is trying to do yeah you know so yeah man um what what really i don't know if you've said it explicitly is your vision for medicine in the future and just like where do you think all this is going i don't know where it's gonna go i know what i want to do yeah um what part do you want to play in making you know yeah be i want it being the change you want to see in the world yes yeah i want to educate people on healthcare, mm -hmm. um and well i think the first step is letting people know that just like you have different lawyers you have different doctors as well mm -hmm. like it's different and it, it actually goes a step further than lawyers because with lawyers you know you have a divorce attorney real estate attorney etc when it comes to doctors it's not just a cardiologist endocrinologist etc you also have philosophies of practice yep you know there's a reason that these things are called doctorate degrees and that they're tied into um doctor uh, uh degrees of philosophy mm -hmm. because they're ideologies that you're that you're espousing on the world so i think that well at least the role that i would like to play is educating people to know that difference to know that they hey there's doctors that are doctors that strictly look at disease management they don't look at health care right huge difference right <clears throat> there's doctors that look at health care and not disease management there's doctors that do a little bit of both. There's doctors that look to support. There's doctors that look to um, basically supplement. You know, so you have to find that with the person that you're working with, and right. you're hiring the doctor. Right. So don't ever let a title push you into something that you don't want to be into. Yeah, or education, or reputation, yeah. or any of that. Yeah. You know, it's. And how does that? How does that doctor talk to you like you're a human being, or like? You know, my mom had a doctor that said, oh, did you go to medical school? Yeah. And because she wouldn't take her <laughs> cholesterol medication, like, <laughs> yeah. literally talking down to her. It's yeah. like, I, and he basically fired her as a patient. Yes. And it's, it's like, great, you did me a favor, you yeah. know? I know but, people who've been fired from their doctor for so many simple things. And it's like, no, they should lose their medical license. Yeah. They should lose their medical license. And that needs to happen more. Yeah. They need to be held more accountable. So... <clears throat> what I would like to do is educate people because without people accepting the change, the change can't ever become manifest. It's not the doctors within the profession who are going to argue against the other doctors. It's the general public we have to win over. Right. And we've already won them over because they want our medicine. Yeah. So now we just have to make it known and have conversations about these realities with them. So I would like to play a big role in that. Mm -hmm. um, I would also like to play a big role in changing the paradigm of medicine as far as how we see uh, disease as as an individual and separate thing from the person mm -hmm. rather than something that's impacting the person 
Right. You know? Um, like, why is this, the disease there? Like, what is it trying to teach you? Right. You yeah, because there's things you can learn from it as well. Mm-hmm. All of that is, is a part of it. And I think, I think that we, in the future, I think natural health practitioners will be far more loved because I think it's already going in that way. That's why people spend thousands and thousands of dollars with functional medicine doctors who radical thought, I mean, for all the NDs listening, radical thought, they, they are trying to focus on the, the cause of why the disease happens. And it's like, <laughs> that's, that's not radical, but I appreciate you guys finally acknowledging that. Right. So, and not all functional, you know, doctors are, um, against like natural medicine and things like that. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, I have great relationships with lots of MDs who are allopaths. And I think like the word allopathy needs to become known. Like we identify our medicine by naturopathic. Why mm-hmm. don't they identify their medicine as allopathic? Mm-hmm. I think, I think that should be a standard of practice. Otherwise we're all just going to call it medicine. And the person's just not, it's going to be a Russian roulette who you get. Yeah. I think that people should have the choice to know that, Hey, I'm getting an allopathic doctor, somebody who's looking to suppress symptoms, but not looking to treat the root cause of disease. That needs to be known. Hey, I'm getting a naturopathic doctor, somebody who's looking to address the root cause of disease and maybe provide some palliation along the way, but the root cause of disease is ultimately their goal because that's how you're going to reverse their health conditions. Mm -hmm. So, um, and everybody else in between there, you know, there's lots of people in between there. Yep. We know that herbalists function with herbs. Like it's known in their name. Why is it that, and you could have a PhD in herbs and everybody calls you an herbalist still. Mm-hmm. They don't say doctor. So why is it that MDs who are allopaths don't use that title? And it, I don't care if they don't like it. It just is what it is. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you, if you don't want to be called Catholic, stop going to the church and, you know, genuflexing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. It's, I, I just think that, there's no way that the natural way of doing things is going away. It's no. not going like down. The trend no. is it's it's only getting more and more popular. Every day I talk to more and more people that are realizing like, oh, maybe I don't need to be on all these medications. Maybe I don't need any medication potentially. Right. Like that's that's a big possibility for a lot of people. Yeah. There's a time and place, of course, especially in the short term, mm-hmm. you know, acute, absolutely. But I don't think that any of us have, uh, you know, any pharmaceutical, whatever name one, deficiency. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think that it's just, uh, you know, uh, trying to hammer your physiology to going down one pathway yep. with one single component. And that can work and that can be really useful for certain things. But that's that's one approach. And we have a lot of other approaches. It's just the philosophy of, I even learned that, you know, with naturopathic medicine, it can, it can differ. I've like sent my mom to different naturopathic doctors while going through school, learning that like, oh, the first one was one that didn't even go to an accredited school. Uh You know, I didn't even know about that. It said, you know, board certified and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, cool. Yeah. And, and then she goes there and she leaves with like a huge page of like 30 different supplements you should take and i'm like huh yeah i don't know i don't know about that like yeah. yeah they're natural maybe they might not harm but are they getting to the root cause are they treating the whole person or is it just making this practitioner not a doctor you know practitioner you know from an online naturopathic school um 
making her a bunch of money. Yeah. That's no, and that's that's a there, there is a reality. I remember Doctor Elder had said, even if you don't know what you're doing, if you adjust people, you're gonna find success. Mm-hmm. He's like, even if you're not good at identifying the cause of their imbalances, um, their MSK imbalances, mm-hmm. and I think that's it's a that principle does work with health and supplements as well. Like, you, you can put somebody on a bunch of supplements and it might be corrective at, at a time mm-hmm. um but it's i mean it might be beneficial but ultimately it's still toxifying their their total load you know so yeah i think that's important to note that there are different practitioners that's why i said i think everybody should start identifying with how they practice i don't think it should be a hidden thing to where you send your mother somewhere and it's like oh i thought i was sending you here because it said doctor and it said naturopathic and it was like you don't practice like what i've been learning at yep. all yep and I've I've definitely seen naturopathic healers who don't do anything that we do, mm-hmm. and they strictly use like crystals and and things like that. And which I'm like I'm not even against those practices as an entirety, mm-hmm. but the way that most of us practice and that person practice is so far off that it doesn't fall into the same field anymore. Right. You know. And that's um, fine. They can exist, but just don't call yourself doctors, you know, traditional naturopath or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, yeah. I mean, I, that's why I think the labeling has to be yeah. a better, there has to be better labeling. And I, th- I don't think we have good labeling right now because mm-hmm. there's a lot of legal arguments about who's allowed to say physician, doctor, and whatever. So I know it's an interesting time, you know, as we stand right now, I don't know how many states are legalized, uh, legalized, <laughs> not, it's not cannabis, but for uh, uh, licensed for, oh, for, for naturopathic medicine. Natural medicine. I think it's like 23 or 4. Okay, I thought so, it was more. It might be more now. Something like that, maybe 26. Yeah. But, you know, their goal is all 50 by 2025. That's pretty aggressive, but I love it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just wonder what's going to happen with our profession over the next 10, 20 years. And, like, I, I really hope we don't go the way of, of DOs and osteopathic medicine. You know, they had a very holistic, natural focused rooted philosophy and they kind of unfortunately kind of went the allopathic route and kind of to give up you know same with some of their philosophy to to kind of now that's not all do's of course i'm sure there's plenty that still do manipulations and all of that but right um you know they just basically they, they can go to the same residencies as mds they can you know it's basically very similar type of practice yes education so yes we just i just hope we don't go that path because um and then that's why i kind of <laughs> i kind of understand the argument for not licensing because then absolutely you, you kind of give up some of your rights and what you can and can't do and you know a lot of naturopathic doctors are rebels and so they're they're cool without you know technically not practicing medicine without a license like they're you're <laughs> technically breaking the law in a way if you depends on how you interpret it it's so it's so interesting laws are fascinating well, yeah, a lot of, I mean, when it comes to laws, a lot of them are designed around business necessarily, and not net, like they're not really generated for the common wealth of the of the people. Like, um, yeah. So when I when I just think of laws in general, and I think of healthcare and our and how we manage that, I, I don't think of them per se as being designed to be protective for the patient. I think there's a lot of things that would be different if that were the case. Um, definitely some are, 
but definitely a lot aren't. Um, hospitals are probably the best example of that, of all the protocols that they have going on in there. And it being insurance-driven, Pablo's coming out of everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Insurance, oh. insurance and pharmaceuticals really run the game. <laughs> on my court. Pablo, Eric. come here, buddy. He's good. Yeah. It's all good. Um, well, cool, man. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I think that's a wrap. Where are we at? Hour 45. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So any, any last words here? Anything on your mind you want to get out there to the public? Um, final last words for now because i got to have you on my podcast, so we yeah, got to reverse this. Definitely. Um, I would say for the people who are concerning the time now, mm-hmm. so I, I got a couple of different final last words. Concerning the time now. Now is a good time to learn and improve yourself. So if you're unfamiliar with something, now's the time to start becoming familiar with it. So if you're unfamiliar with the struggles that other people have had to deal with on a day-to-day basis, then start educating yourself on history and how things got here. Because I think that's crucial. A lot of history clears up a lot of ignorance and a lot of people are ignorant of history. And so it's it's kind of the the circle. Mm -hmm. Um, The more we know, about what has happened in the past, the more we understand how things arrived at what, what they are right now and where we're going to go in the future. Um, concerning health, because this is healing intentions. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I've been talking for a while. Yeah. <laughs> wow. um, concerning health, I would say look for what fits best with you. If you're the average person looking to if you're if you're a patient and you're looking to find a doctor find a doctor you're comfortable with find a doctor who you can share your thoughts with who's not who you don't feel like you're they're judging you in a negative way <clears throat> we're all people doctors included mm-hmm. so of course doctors have stigmas and ideas and things like that so go with somebody who vibes with you and i mean that in all of the senses of the word vibe mm-hmm. go with somebody who's on the same frequency as you who you can feel comfortable sharing your the deeper secrets that you may not even be comfortable with sharing with yourself at times. Mm-hmm. Go with those people. Um, if you're a doctor, I guess the advice that I would give to healthcare practitioners in this time is don't ignore the mental emotional state and its impact on health because a lot of times we don't take that into, we take it into consideration, but not fully. So if somebody's presenting with an ulcer, don't assume it's just diet related. Mm-hmm. And don't assume that the only stress is their job. It also could be the stress of they're driving and they have um, a police officer behind them and they have negative experiences with police in the past. Mm-hmm. And they're in an area where they have to drive by police every day. That's a little spike in blood pressure every day. That's a little spike in cortisol every day. Yep. So take that into consideration when you're talking about their health. And don't ignore those things. Mm-hmm. Um, Could be a toxic relationship even. Like yeah. So many things. Yeah, there's so many. No, there's, there's so many things that go into it. Um, to speak on women's health, for example. Like, the fact that so many women express anxiety and nervousness walking by groups of men. That is a real impact on their health. And that needs to be addressed. And it doesn't need to just be like, oh, okay, yeah, I hear it. It's like, no, you have to find a way to address that in that person's life. Yeah. Um, so mental health, 
And I, when I say mental health, I don't mean the use of medication for mental health because right. a lot of people are pushing that. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean talking, finding balance in your life mentally, exploring the things that were somewhat uh, difficult to you that you couldn't find the words to articulate properly. Explore those things because you'll become a better person at the end of it when you go through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and for everybody else, I would say, you know, sh- enjoy the day, man. Carpe diem. <laughs> Beautiful. Awesome, man. It's been great. Uh, it's been a great talk. I enjoy them always. And it's been a great journey here throughout throughout getting to know you here through school and look forward to whatever happens here in the future and whatever we can hopefully create uh together on on some beautiful caribbean island oh yeah most definitely <laughs> most definitely that's <clears throat> i'm sorry um that was actually something i wanted to say actually in the podcast i didn't get a chance to say is mm-hmm. that um one of the greatest things that we can offer when we do individualized medicine is we can help change the person's environment yeah and that's the biggest impact in health is your immediate environment if you can't find a way to impact their environment you can have some success with health but not to the to the degree that you may want to have as a practitioner right so you know one day i hope to have that clinic running with you and you know we'll definitely get people coming in to rehabilitate rehabilitate them into life and learn how to live a healthier life for them um so it's not just something that you go to the doctor's office then you return back to your immediate environment but you can come spend time learn to re-educate yourself and learn new habits and <clears throat> learn some basic principles in life about health that you may not have known yep. like the value of water you know that's something that we don't really talk about much you know yep. these, these things are so crucial to talk about yep. so you know hopefully in the, in the near future we'll have that running and be able to have more of these conversations over there yeah man for sure awesome so, well thanks much and, no um, thank you very much for inviting me on this i really appreciate it awesome bro